Let's go ahead and just dive right in, and usually we begin with the word of prayer, so let us begin with the word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, our Savior and Lord, you declared that the work of bringing in a new creation was accomplished by your declaration from the cross, that it is finished. Give us eyes to see the signs of the new creation in your ongoing healing of our bodies and souls through your holy sacraments, where you continue to come to us as our creator who is bringing in the new creation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Alrighty. So, this was quite uh, a session. Uh, right, um, the uh, God's wrath revealed in creation. Um, did y'all write some stuff down for this one? Read <laughs> it. I just didn't write anything down. I mean, there's, there's, there wasn't enough space to write all the things down that you could have for some of this stuff, right? I encountered that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah me too. Um, all right. Well, let's just dive right in. God's wrath revealed in creation. In the weeks following the collapse of the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001, the U.S. stock market lost $3 trillion in value. It's like a drop in the bucket nowadays, doesn't it? Uh, thousands of people lost their jobs. Fear and panic paralyzed still more. Though the sins of the terrorists became... Um, uh, though, though the sins of the terrorists became... Um, Evident in a matter of moments, only days, weeks, and months could reveal the full effect of their sins and the nation's response. The continuing effects of the sins of the terrorists and the continuing response by the nations of the world can help explain Paul's view of sin and God's wrath in Romans. From Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, the central point that Paul drives home is this. There is no one who is righteous, therefore all need God's righteousness. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul describes humanity's destructive and paralyzing sin and the unfolding revelation of God's response. Paul establishes a parallel between the revelation of the righteousness of God and the revelation of the wrath of God. Both use the present tense verb, reveal. See that in verses 17 and 18. In other words, both continue to be revealed in the present day. So God's wrath, or his anger, is a significant topic in Romans and Paul's, uh, Paul's other epistles. Examine these texts from Romans and summarize their meaning. It's Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, uh, chapter 5, verse 9, chapter 9, verse 22, Chapter 12, verse 19, and chapter 13, verse 4. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into all of these. If you want to kind of glance at them a little bit real quick, kind of um, get a sense for, you know, in, case, in case you need to jog your memory. Um, actually, let's, let's, let's just go to the biggest ch- chunk there, I think, is uh, Romans 2, 5, 5 through 11. Kind of take a look at that one. If you want to look at the other ones while we're doing that. Uh, Romans 2, 5 through 11. Who would like to read those for us real quick? I'll start. Yeah. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. 
God will give each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every, every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Okay, so... Um, that's my NIV translation. Yeah, that's good. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure we're all, you know, some of us have, M, have NIV, some have, or I guess I'm probably the only one who has ESV. Uh, that's okay. I also have the Greek. So anyways, um, not that I'm showing off or anything. It's part of my job. Um, so in that, how can you summarize God's wrath being shown? Uh, I mean, summarize that for us a little bit. And, and if y'all wrote something down that includes all the other ones as well, but fill us in on that. To me, it sounds like he's keeping tabs of all the things that you do wrong. Who is? God does. Mm, okay. Because it says, you know, he's storing up. Mm-hmm. Storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. And when his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what he's done. So he's keeping tabs of what oh, yeah. everybody did. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, God does not. Yeah. Um, he does. He does not show partiality. He doesn't just simply say, "Oh, because you gave to this charity and, and mm-hmm. because you didn't say this bad that. word, yeah. I'm going to count those certain things else, you know, not on your tab, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So there's something there." I do have a question though. Sure. At, at first, it kind of appears like you're going to be punished more severely based on what you've done in your life. Uh, okay. And is that like a works-based punishment and reward? N- no. Um, so I, these are deeds that should only be seen as being done in Christ. Um, according to his works, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Like when you read that at the Athanasian Creed, right? When you read the Athanasian Creed, you'll see that uh, um, that uh, we will be judged by what we have done, right? Um, and on some level, we've talked about this before. Works and faith go hand in hand. Uh, you know, just like works and obedience, and sorry, faith and obedience go hand in hand. Um, and faith is never dead. Uh, faith is always doing something. And in that sense, I mean, I think in my study Bible here, it's cross-referencing chapter 3, verse 21 through 30, where uh, Paul says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For, in, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, whom, whom he has put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And it goes on from there, right? That, um, that we do not boast because of a law of works, but by the law of faith, right? So this is never, whenever he's talking about these things and you see the end is that, 
God will give uh, life eternal, it's not because they worked for it, but it is, it's never manifested apart from the righteousness of God in faith, right? So some people might see that as a works righteousness, but Paul makes it very clear elsewhere that that's not the case. It's a good question, though. Good question. Anybody else have anything as a summary for these uh, um, verses on how they talk about God's wrath? I mean, that's very good. You said that he keeps tabs. He's, God is everywhere, and so he sees what we do. And I think that's something I, I remember reading uh, Luther in preparation for, what I think it was Pentecost, because he had a great bit on the Tower of Babel. And he said that when God comes down, you know, he comes down to see what they're doing as far as building the tower. That's not to say that God was absent the whole time. That is to say that God has shown up in the revealing of uh, them breaking the law. That he had said, go forth and fill the earth and subdue it, right? And they decided, nah, we're just going to all stay in this one spot. Right, so it's kind of a, kind of interesting how God does manifest His wrath in certain ways, uh, and we'll see how and why that's a good thing. Right? Anything else from these texts, from these passages, like chapter three, verse five through six, um, or chapter five, or chapter nine, or twelve or thirteen? Yeah. The title on my chapter two says it's a right a God's righteous judgment. So I think the wrath is a righteous judgment. Yeah. And the other thing that I have is uh, I think it was twelve nineteen. You get the uh, vengeance is God. Vengeance, vengeance belongs to Him. Yeah. Um, twelve nineteen. Yeah, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay," says the Lord. Right. And then also chapter 13, verse 4, where he says, uh, for he is God's servant, that is um, the emperor or the civil authority, right? He is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Uh, and... Yeah, we can talk about more about that later, but ideally, that's the case. Ideally, that's the case. Ideally, that's the case. In today's world, no. That's not necessarily always happening right now, nor has it always happened in the past, right? There's always been injustices uh, brought about by those who should not bring about injustice in the civil realm. There have been abuses of power, things like that, to say the least, but ideally, how is God's wrath met out on people nowadays? I mean, specifically in a civil realm. What do you think? Like being punished for a crime? Mm -hmm. Like a jail sentence or, sure. or probation or however you want to mm -hmm. look at Yeah, some sort of punishment. Your pocket book, maybe. What's that? By affecting your pocket. Yeah, <laughs> a fine, yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, making it hard to figure out how you're going to eat the next month or something like that. For sure. Um, so yeah, God God can exercise, God can and does exercise his wrath toward the wicked now through institutions like government. Um, and sadly, though, like we kind of mentioned, that's not always working out for the best because you're seeing a lot of, a lot of things in recent 
history, like in the past couple of years, where people who should have been punished are not. You know, you get all these rioters and uh, murderers and rapists and things like that are getting out on bond the next day and things like that. And it's just terrible. Um, that that's That's not... You get district attorneys who are being soft on crime. I think I heard something. There was a recorded phone conversation from one of these, um, from a Mexican gang member in L.A. who was in the county lockup. And he was recorded and it leaked out him saying um, to his friend, hey, man, I'm getting out and, and, I'm, and my bond is really low. I'm going to get the DA's name tattooed on my face, dog, you know, because he's doing me such a big favor by letting me out. And, and he like robbed someone at gunpoint and even like abused, or he, he assaulted them in some way. He's like, this DA, he's a good man, says the criminal, <laughs> right? So that's not always happening, but ideally God's wrath is met out. And it does happen, you know, I think Texas has a pretty good record on on justice in a lot of ways. We're kind of known for it, right? Um, so we can say that the reason our economy is tanking and prices are so high is because the public voted our president into office. She says as she covers up her mouth to laugh. Um, and yeah, well, it's, it's read into that what you want. I, it's, I, don't know. It's one of those things. Everything is just so upside down. I, where yeah. do you even begin? Um, yeah. So, um, <laughs> just kind of open up a can of worms. But, um, yeah, well, I'd say that on some level we are facing God's wrath, even as a people. Uh, maybe not in direct response to how we vote. Might be a, that might be have something to do with it. But it also is something about um, anytime, and we'll see it as we go along, anytime we feel God's wrath, even if we feel like we don't deserve it, you know, uh, there, there, there's always the opportunity for repentance to uh, uh, examine ourselves and see why God has, why God is allowing or even actively pursuing wrath on us as a nation, as a people. And uh, because even though we might sit back and say, I didn't do anything. I pay my taxes. I don't break the law. I vote for the right people. Yada, 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 yada. We are still getting affected by this, just like the Israelites in Jeremiah's time, who, and, and even in Isaiah's time, right? The prophets where the people went off into exile, even the ones who didn't do anything wrong, even the faithful ones faced God's wrath uh, because on some level, you know, they didn't make the cut because maybe they didn't, I mean, I know on one level, even the faithful didn't speak out enough and preach and join the prophets in, in telling people they need to repent of their sins. The book of Amos is going, is like exactly that way they, that way too that yeah. in their prosperity they thought they were being blessed right and they weren't right and along with prosperity comes vices and complacency and pride mm -hmm. and on that level nations are judged as well so it's it's all something to keep in mind uh and no matter what we should be like our ancestors of old the christians of old who said and even you know the old testament christians that 
when something bad happened to them, they understood that that was something from God. And that was an opportunity to say, Lord, have mercy. I'm going to examine my life and see how I can repent, right? So that even if you do face God's wrath temporally, you won't face his wrath for all eternity, right? It's just an opportunity for repentance. And we'll see that more and more as we go on. But so you see that um, God exercises his wrath toward the wicked now through institutions like government. I would say the church also has a role to play in exercising God's wrath for somebody's good uh, in excommunication in, in for uh, actual sins that, in, you know, for, uh, for an actual decent reason for excommunicating someone, someone who says, uh, or someone who is, um, I don't know, pick a sin, <laughs> but an open and un, unrepentant sin, um, like adultery or um, fornication or whatever, you know, and you just say, look, unless you repent, you can't receive the body and blood of Christ, and that's for your good, right, because we don't want you to receive it to your damnation, and um, that sort of thing. So uh, the church has a role to play in excommunication for someone's good when they are engaging in sin open and unrepentantly, right? I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. So, you know, when the Catholic Church told, what's her name, that she couldn't take communion again? Nancy Pelosi? Yeah. Yeah. Have they stuck to their... I haven't heard any follow-up. Have they stuck to their guns? It, well, I'm, I mean... Does, wasn't it only certain bishops that said that, or was it the was it directly from it was, the Vatican? It was like the start, and then the others said, "Oh yeah," and then, but I hadn't heard anything. You know, I don't that. know because I don't quite understand how Rome works in that regard. Because sometimes you can be in one diocese and have one bishop say something, and you go to another one, and the other bishop just says, "No, nah, don't worry about what that guy said." Yeah. Right. I mean that that happens all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. I don't, so I don't know if they actually because I haven't heard any follow up from that. I know that I first heard heard that. I thought, yes, the church is finally taking a church is taking a stand against something that is wrong. Right, and and I think that there. I thought I hope they follow through with this. (laughs) Yeah, there have been some priests who have said if they come into, if they are there when I'm Mm -hmm. having mass, I'm not going to serve them. Right. So, and and they've. I think they might have gotten in some trouble for that. But that's the cat. That's that's the Roman Catholic Church. That's the Romish Church for you. Um, that's kind of how it goes. Uh, but anyway, so um, bottom line is that on the last day, God will uh, judge all people and punish the unresent the unrepentant as they truly deserve. Uh, and in some ways, for us as Christians, that's a comfort because. You look out in the world today, and if you've seen the footage of all the stuff going on outside the Supreme Court, outside the justices' homes, uh, and you see just, I can't say it's anything less than demonic. You know, this demonic attitude toward abortion or homosexuality or whatever, you cry out against it and to them in hopes that they would repent but when they are so stubborn and unrepentant and, and don't care what you have to say and rejects God's mercy, you eventually just have to say, God's going to cut you down one way or another, and, and that's his job. It's not mine. Right? Uh, and I pray that that won't happen to you. But 
Yeah. So we can't we can't just kind of say, oh, everything is terrible without understanding that in the end, we will be uh, judged righteous on account of faith. Right? And that's something we hold on to as Christians for sure. Right? Um, how about let's just move on to that next part because that's probably the big part of this next <laughs> of this section. What are some examples? What are some examples of how the effects of sin reveal themselves today in your community, whether locally, nationally, whatever? What are some examples y'all see? I'll, I'll give my... Just, yeah, just dive right in, because there's so many. <laughs> so I work in a vineyard. Yeah. And uh, in our kitchen, we have the windows. and they, We have these grapevines that are like right there, you know. And we have busloads of bachelorette parties come in there and, and everything like that. Yeah. And the amount of vanity in it, it's almost like people are their own idols now. Ooh, that's a very interesting one that I wasn't expecting. How do you mean by that? I mean, they're, they're just there, like almost in line to get their social media content so they can put it on their, you know, whatever social media they have so everybody can look at it, you know, and they're not even really there for, like, each other, it doesn't seem like. Mm, it, you know? Yeah, that's very interesting. That's very subtle. Just sharing an experience. It's it's all about the social media content. Yeah, it's only about what people are saying online about what you're doing and whether or not that's, you know, whether or not you get so many comments on your Facebook saying, oh, that looks like fun or I oh, hope you had a good time or something like that. Mm, very interesting, yeah. You would think they'd get over that when they got out of junior high. Yeah, but you know what? It's so addictive. That's why I'm really not on Facebook anymore. I, I keep I keep an account just so I can every maybe like once a quarter check and see what the church's Facebook is doing. But I stay off of Facebook. I try to stay off social media because they hook you in. And, and it turns into a rabbit hole. Yeah, I mean, you just keep getting deeper and deeper, and yeah, it, it turns into where you finally, you, you know, you, you hear this, well, I don't know if I've really heard this complaint recently, because it's just become so cliche that you have these families who will go out to eat together, and mom and dad and kids are all on their phones. Mm-hmm. They're just sitting at a restaurant, yep. and they're just looking at their phones, and nobody's talking to anybody. They're all in their own world really kind of worshiping their little god, their little phone, their little world in there. It's uh yeah, that's very very interesting observation. That's that's I'd say you're absolutely right. It's uh there's 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 vanity, there's um I mean, we're all vain. Absolutely. In some way, but right. I mean, yeah. It looks like it's like on another level. Right. We're not we're not pointing at someone else thinking that we're righteous, more righteous than they are. We're just kind of saying, look, that's a struggle for them. I've struggled with that or, or in a different way, I've struggled with that or something like that for sure. Um, yeah, good example. Any other, any other examples y'all see in the world today of sin manifesting itself? How about the um, books in the school library? Which school library? Is that happening here too? Oh, yeah, here. What stuff is in the Fredericksburg School Library? If you saw the books, some of the stuff in the books, and you went to a bookstore, it would be in the adult book section. 
So that's even I happening here in Fredericksburg. Oh, right. Fredericksburg yeah. Middle School. Elementary the middle school. school. No way. Yeah. No way. Yeah. All right. See, for some reason, I thought that we were still kind of insulated on some level, but if we're not, then it makes it makes my point all the more pertinent that um, you have infiltrations into areas that, oh, it's just terrible. I mean, nobody should read that stuff, let alone children, right? Yeah. yeah. James, you're going to say something? Pastor up the road is kind of leading the charge against it. Uh, what is it? Baptist Road, just right up the road here. Oh, right down the road here? Yeah. Yeah, they're heavily yeah, okay. They yeah, I Facebook. look at the newspaper today. <laughs> Did you see the big the whole the whole there's a whole page yeah. about well, good. parents we've got to, we've got to pay attention to what's being put in our schools for the kids. Yeah. And then you go two or three pages over and you've got a whole page of we should have the right to do whatever we want to do. We should have the right to. Children should it have should access be up to, the, to the books. It's not Who's saying this? It's not just the parents no. who get to say what's put in the school, but the school should be allowed to say this. Uh, Which party do you think that is? Uh, okay. The owner of the newspaper. It's the party that doesn't the believe. The it's, it's the party that does not believe the God-given order that authority comes from fathers and mothers. Mm -hmm. That's Just the buy the newspaper today in oh, the first section. One page and like three pages over, here's a whole other section. Totally, it's a big thing going on, and I'm like, I cannot believe that that is even happening in our schools. Um, well, the owner is uh, requesting the people that are fighting it to be on some list or something. So. Yeah, isn't that great? I love that. That's yeah. just fan. That'll just make everybody want to speak out. Yeah. All right. Why don't you put your name in this? This is your. This is your. Yeah. If you think it. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, great, great. That's yeah, because we all because we all own newspapers and we all have the ability to uh, you know get our voice out there and like yeah whatever. Yeah. Anyways, that's just so ridiculous. Well, I hope that they continue to put pressure on them because it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and I am surprised and not surprised. It's happening <laughs> everywhere. It's happening everywhere. It is. Um, so, anybody else want to give some examples of bad things, well, of I sin manifesting itself today? Yeah, no, I, I went back to my childhood. We didn't lock our doors. We didn't yeah. lock the vehicle. Nowadays, uh, just down the road from me, they took a torch and went into somebody's gun safe and stole three dollars $35,000. <coughs> and that's just only a few miles from where I live. It's mm -hmm. like... Yeah, I got a torch. What if they? All I gotta do is break in my garage and do the same thing, you know? Yeah. It's lock this, lock this. Like everything's gotta be locked. Up. Yeah, everything is. And it yeah. doesn't do any good in the in the end anyway. We have we have become a society of such low trust mm -hmm. that um, yeah we I and I think part of that comes from the atomization of our lives. By that I mean that we all are in our own little bubbles. Um, that we're not really concerned with other people's lives so much to the point where if somebody goes out of town, if your next door neighbor goes out of town, you should be, you and the other neighbors surrounding should just naturally keep an eye on that person's property and <coughs> be able to call the cops if something goes on or whatever. But nowadays, um, I'll be honest, that's something I struggle with. I mean, we know a few of our neighbors, but we don't know all of them, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah, but we've, we've we've become so isolated and off doing our own little thing that we uh, 
I can't say that my neighbors, we watch out for each other. Good. We do. Good. And we keep tabs on each other and we watch out for each other and we help each other. And so I, I feel real good about my neighbors. Good. Even though my neighbors are way off. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, but we do. We keep, we help each other and keep tabs on each other. And, yeah. You know, well, they're not supposed to be over there. You yeah. know. Yeah. And so we, we do. But I know not all neighborhoods are like that. Um, yeah, I, hopefully over time we'll get to know our neighbors a little bit better. Uh, the, the longer we're there, so just and all it, these bed and breakfast in our neighborhood uh, is like you don't know the neighbors. You don't that's know right. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was one of the things that we were we're glad where we are, where where we moved to, because there are in that section you can only have sh you can have long term rentals, but not short term. So. We were always kind of concerned about that buying a house in town because we didn't know if we'd be next door to a and B and who was going to be over there mm -hmm. and what they might do and whatever. When know. I lived over here on Morse Street, mm -hmm. I I I would leave and go to the store sometime with my windows open and my back door wide open, and I I knew all of my neighbors. They knew me. Yeah. Um, I didn't have any trouble running to the store and leaving my windows open, leaving my back door open. I'd go to work all day long with the back door wide open so the dog could go in and out. So I had good neighbors yep. over in that neighborhood where I yep. lived too. Yeah. So, so so on some level you're seeing sin manifesting itself by us becoming less concerned with our neighbor and more concerned only with ourselves or whatever. Um, becoming isolated in that way. I mean, those are, I think y'all did a really good job of, of really focusing in on what our community is struggling with. Um, and on a grander scale, I'll, I mean, if you just look at the news, of course, we're in the middle of Pride Month right now. So, there, so there's that. Uh, Lord have mercy. Um, that, that even, I don't know, like corporations... All these rainbow flags they're not even the real rainbow flag it's it's six colors as opposed to seven which yeah. is what it's supposed to be and uh anyways it's 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 all this perversion and drag queen story hour and kid friendly quote-unquote drag shows whatever that means i heard of a, a I mean, summer camp for like eight to 14 year olds on how to discover what your sexuality is. I heard about that, yeah. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? I yeah. couldn't even believe I would have here. It's awful. Like, it, yeah. This can't be, oh yeah, this third or fourth year they've had it. And I'm like, well, the parent would send their kid to something like, who would even think to put something like that together? That's what even just amazes me. I mean, I, I really hate to say it, but on some level, it really does need to be said that uh, and again, uh, I'll, I'll preface all this by saying I have the luxury of being a little more objective. My kids are still very, very tiny, and I, and I haven't ex haven't experienced them asking questions about this stuff. And I pray to God that I'll be prepared enough to answer them well. But it's like you see, even that Fox News is putting out exposés on a family that has uh, a transgender. What is it? A transgender boy? That means it's a girl. It's a girl that thinks he's a boy, and they've already started transitioning since they were five. Mm -hmm. And even Fox News is saying that that's something that's okay. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, wait a minute, what is going on? And then you got, and of course, you got Caitlyn Jenner 
on Hannity all the time or whatever now. So it's like, where do we actually draw the line and say, that's actually not good. It's a bad thing. And I don't, I don't really care what anybody thinks politically if they can't even understand what sex they are, yes. what gender they are. I don't, I, don't, I don't care about your foreign policy. You don't even know who you are, right? Um, but there's also the thing of like, it goes back to you have this prevailing mindset in the culture that our children belong to the collective whole on some level, but really they don't. They belong to the parents, right? I've heard that quoted by people, too. Yeah. The, it, your kids are not yours. They, they're the states. I would love to have them try to take them away from me. I, I, I would love to have them see what would happen to them if they tried. Um, because I, it, it boils my blood to see even parents duped by this lie, and they go along with saying, well, you know, my, my, uh, my son, you know, she, you know, he was really upset it's it's like it pained him to wear a dress so clearly he must be a boy it's like your kid is five years old yeah they don't know what they want like they like mac and cheese today and tomorrow they don't i mean seriously it's it, it, it's one of these things that they're listening to all these other voices as opposed to using their god-given intuition to say no you're not really a boy you're a girl because that's the way that god made you right and that actually makes a difference so you have that, you have transgenderism, you have abortion, you have all these other things that we could go into and say ad nauseum. And it just gets really depressing, doesn't it? There's so much stuff. Um, and we can say on some level, and I think we should be very careful here and follow uh, Paul's lead on this and not just excuse this stuff as just political posturing or political ideology run amok. These people are just... They're just misguided or, um, or just like not in their right minds. Sorry, y'all. They're demonically oppressed. Like the demons are working hard on them. And as soon as we get used to using that language, the more likely we're not going to confuse categories. Because it's not just a political struggle. This is a spiritual struggle. And these folks who are deceived by this are deceived by the father of lies, Satan himself. Right? So we have to be very clear on this because that's the only way we can actually address these things in the way they're supposed to be addressed, and that is according to God's word. Right? So these things are demonic, they are spiritually evil and wicked, and we have every right to call them out as being such. Um, and we don't do that because we want to posture ourselves as somebody holier than thou, but we do it because God desires for them to repent, right? We do it because we want them to actually turn away from that sin, reject the lie, and embrace the truth, right? That's what we're shooting for. We're shooting for people to actually be saved and not just to win a political fight. Uh, it's a spiritual fight, and it seems like it's dark, and it is pretty dark right now. I don't think we've ever faced a struggle like this before in any kind of history, I'll be honest with you. Um, oh, I don't know. The flood was pretty bad. Yeah, the flood was bad, but the I think I heard a pastor say one time, he's like, yeah, the flood was bad, and as it says in Genesis, they were... 
they were marrying and giving themselves to marriage. We don't even do that anymore. So, I mean, on some level, the, before the flood was even better than now. Uh, <laughs> sorry, but we're, like, even add to things like, um, I don't know, just rampant sexual deviance, deviancy and all kinds of stuff is just, <sighs> on a grand scale like this, I don't think we've ever seen it before. And I think that's because Satan is really going after our understanding of creation. He's turning, he's trying to turn creation on its head by saying that men can be women and women can be men and men can be homosexuals just like, you know, women and you can do whatever you want with your body. You can do whatever you want with this, you know, whatever. He's trying to do all he can to just disrupt everything. And uh, it's diabolical. It's demonic. It's, that's really what it is. So, on that cheery note, <laughs> we're going to talk about the day of the Lord. All right. So God has promised, to sh- promised and shown his wrath to sinners since the fall, yet he has also promised and shown his, his mercy in abundance. We can conclude that God has never shown human beings the full extent of his wrath, which we deserve due to our sin. The Old Testament speaks of the day of the Lord when God will abundantly show forth his wrath over sin. This day of the Lord dawned with Christ. All God's wrath against sin, from the first sin of Adam and Eve to the last sin committed at the end of time, was poured out on Jesus at the cross. The Old Testament and the Gospels um, show this truth with the image of a person drinking a bitter cup of wine from its frothy top down to its gritty sludge at the bottom. You see that in Isaiah 51 and Matthew 26. Jesus swallowed and absorbed every drop of God's anger so that God could bear with us and patiently await our repentance. But as people continue to despise God's mercy, he continues to show limited... Um, he continues to show... Limited evidence of his wrath against those who reject him. Even as the righteousness of God is now being revealed in the gospel, Paul warns that the wrath of God is now being revealed in the chaos of sin. Um, At the last day, those who are not righteous by faith in Christ will experience the full, the end-time wrath of God uh, for sin, not because their sin was not forgiven in Christ, but because they rejected the mercy shown by the Creator in Christ. So in summary, there are three clear aspects to the wrath of God in Paul's writings. One, we have been saved from the damning wrath of God against our sin through Christ. Two, the wrath of God that was uh, that was visited upon Christ continues to be visible and is functioning as the law within our world. Three, The revelation of the wrath of God will climax on the last day when sinners without faith in Christ will experience God's anger. So these next two questions kind of go hand in hand. Um, So if we kind of bleed one into the other, that's that's fine. Compare the patient, um, I, I would even say wrath, of a parent or a friend with the anger of someone who's your enemy. How does God use yet hold back his wrath? And why does God allow his wrath against sin to be revealed, but still hold back its full force? So, as far as a patient anger or wrath of a parent or a friend, I mean, what, is, what does that look like, first off? 
patient patient wrath of a parent. How does it's kind of like you, you? Well, go ahead, James. If your kid steals a cookie out of a cookie jar, you don't uh, kill them. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Penalty for stealing is losing your hand. I'm sorry, son. Yeah, right. That comes later. <laughs> or maybe give them a chance to tell the truth. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah confession <laughs> and absolution, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody else have a... So, so, huh? Who wrote their name on the toilet seat? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Who's the only one who could write their name on the toilet seat? <laughs> well, she gave me an opportunity to tell the truth, and I blamed it on my sister. Nice. <laughs> Couldn't even write. <laughs> <laughs> And that's original sin that it's like. Oh, yeah. How old were you? How old was he? Yeah. Four. Oh, so before the age of accountability, so you're okay. That's so funny. Wow. Yeah, so the patient anger of a parent or a friend, even by extension, is one where you you bear with somebody, right? You, you're, you're, you're patient. You're literally long-suffering. Uh like uh, Charlotte likes to kick at me when I'm changing her diaper at the end of the day. And uh, I've only had to do it a couple times where I've just said, I just looked at her right in the eye and I said, if you kick me, you kick, you get smacked, okay? On the legs. And uh, of course, I'm probably gonna go to jail for saying that. Um, But she did, and so I just went, no more, and she just and she just looked at me like, mm, mm. And, like and so when she starts gearing up, I say, "What did Daddy say? What did he say about kicking?" And she just she just goes, mm. like "She's holding on, like, oh, I want to kick you so bad." But yeah, parents are supposed to be patient, right? Long long suffering with their children, um, so that so that they would not grow up to be degenerates, right? Yeah, the punishment I mean, isn't there because I don't like you. Right, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you don't understand that until you become a parent or in the position of a parent with that responsibility. Um, and also, it, it goes back to, do y'all, do y'all know the punishment in Le- the Levitical Code for disobeying your parents? Death. Yeah, it was death. Oh, it's like, would they take him your own? No, it was death. That, that if, if there was a son who was rebellious to the point where even even past reasoning, he would die. They would stone him to death. And we think to ourselves, man, that's really harsh. But that was handed down from God himself because he understood that if you have a rebellious son, which even Paul says is one of the signs of sin that you're disobedient to your parents, that does not bode well for the future because if all authority stems from the father, the parents, even the civil authority, that really I think we should have more dads speaking up about all the, all the stuff going on in schools and in government and in the public sphere. If, if we had more dads and parents speaking out for the sake of their children, I think that we'd be better off and that you'd actually start seeing that authority does come from parents. I have noticed that, actually. Yeah. It's more women speaking out against it than it is men speaking out. Which is a shame. I think it's a shame. Um, I think I think more men need to speak out. Uh, we're just afraid. We're afraid. But I think, like your daughter, 
disobedience starts at home. Mm-hmm. And if they don't learn at home that there's consequences for bad behavior, then they're going to take that out into the world. Oh, yeah. So they have to learn. We as parents have to teach them when you do something wrong, there will be consequences for it. And I think nowadays there's so many parents that are not doing that. And so when their children go out, it, it's just manifesting itself into this big monster. Right. I remember there was a discussion when he was in middle school. There was some behavior and they thought, well, maybe if we have uniforms in the school, it might calm some of this down. And I remember being at the, at the parent meeting that they were having and the most verbal parent there against having the school uniform was the parent of the child who was causing the most yeah. of the disruption in the school. And that parent was just standing there defending their child. Yeah. And I was like, no wonder he acts the way he does. He's getting it from his parent. Well, and, you know? and that, that right there is also a more, I think, probably overlooked subversion mm-hmm. that are still part of the same root of what I just mentioned about the, the flipping of creation on its head. Instead of parents parenting, the children are, are the ones who are... Um, the children are the ones who are ruling the roost. And um, the reason why I say, and this is not because, you know, I, the reason, okay, the reason, the reason why I say it's a shame that more men aren't speaking up is because, um, and I, again, I might get arrested for this, but, uh, you know, in Isaiah, uh, where is it? Um, oh my goodness, where is it? Anyways, in Isaiah, he's talking about how the people are um, judged in a certain way or that they are oppressed. Um, Let me see if I can pull it up. I know I highlighted it on my phone somewhere. Here we go. Um, Proverbs, Proverbs, Isaiah 3, right? Uh, It's terrible. It sounds like today. Isaiah 3. Verses 9 through 12. The look on their countenance witnesses against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe to the wicked, it shall be, it shall, uh, be, it, sh- it shall be, uh, it shall be, it shall be bad with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O oh, my people, those who lead you cause to err and destroy the way of your paths. That's not a blessing. That's a bad, that's a bad thing. When men don't lead, that's not good. Um, and when men sit back when they ought not... I mean, that's, it's like whenever you bring up, and again, I might, I might get crucified for this, but so be it. It's the word of God. Um, you know how people will say, well, Deborah was a judge, right? People will say, well, Deborah was a judge. Deborah was a judge because no man stood up. That was judgment on the men that they were so cowardly that they had to have a woman take charge. 
I mean, nothing against ladies. Ladies can be fierce and ferocious, okay? <laughs> but that's not the point, right? It's, it's God-given uh, patriarchy that we should espouse. And the dad should have, in that instance with that kid, stood up and said, no, you're, you're right. My kid is a brat, and we're going to discipline him accordingly. This is not right that he should be this destructive, or whatever it is, right? Um, we need more fathers and father figures in the world to take charge and say what's what and to push back, right? To push back uh, for what's good and godly and true. So um, with that, though, yeah, I mean, it's so funny to see this. It, on some level, we as Christians understand these things to be commonplace and absolutely common sense. But say this to someone who's not a Christian, say this to someone who's so well-versed in the ways of the world, they'll think you're crazy, right? They'll think you're crazy because they think that listening to kids is a great thing as far as when it comes to their gender ideology, right? You go, what are you talking about, literally? I mean, uh, anyways, it's, 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 it's terrible. So the patient anger of a parent or friend is that, it's patient. It bears with the person for their good, for the good of them, right? For their good sake. Whereas with an enemy, how does an enemy act toward you? Do they hold back? They look for a reason to be wrathful. They find every reason to come after you, right? And give you the full brunt of their wrath. I, there's, there, there are all these groups now, uh, what is it, like... These pro-abortion groups, Ruth sent us and uh, Jane's Revenge or whatever, okay. that are literally firebombing uh, um, birth centers, right? These these um, these places where women can go, who don't who who uh, they'll help them. It's a crisis pregnancy center. I think it was up in like I don't know if I want I don't I don't necessarily want to say Denton, but it was somewhere I can't remember where where, where it was, but. Somewhere you wouldn't expect, and they firebombed a crisis pregnancy center, and they're basically saying, if you take Roe versus Wade away from us, then you will not be safe until you close your doors. I don't know about you. That sounds like an enemy, right? They 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 are so full of wrath, they will not hold back. Um, but here's something to keep in mind. I think that this is intentional when he says friend or parent versus the wrath of the enemy is that God desires to be our Father, right? He desires that for everybody. And Jesus himself calls the faithful his friend, right? He says, I do not call you servants, but friends. God desires that for us. But for those who are not repentant, they remain God's enemy. And on the last day, he will treat them as such, and he will not hold back his wrath, mm -hmm. right? That is terrifying, and it should terrify all people and we should hear that and give thanks to God all the more that we're not his enemies, right? Uh, and we pray all the more for those people who would act in such a heinous way to firebomb a crisis pregnancy center or threaten violence or act on violence because of their demonic ideology. And we pray that they would someday not be the enemy of God. And in fact, we can actually pray against them in that way too, that they would be converted, right? Uh, or at the very least, that God would keep them from doing the wicked things they want to do. Right? Any other thoughts on that? 
Um, how about why does God allow his wrath against sin to be revealed but still hold back its full force? What's the point? Why doesn't he just let it all come out? He would destroy us. I think he'd just destroy us if he did. I mean, he doesn't do it because he wants us. Yeah. Right? The little bit of wrath like we do face. We want yeah. to give them a chance. Yeah. We keep giving them chances. Come on, come on, come on. Whatever bit of wrath that we do face, mm -hmm. it's for our good. Mm -hmm. Um, to teach us a lesson. Right. And yeah. and that's how you can really quickly find out a false teacher in Christianity if they never tell you that hard times naturally occur as being a Christian. Yeah. If they say that being a Christian is always great, it's always grand, it's always easy, you can say, you're a liar, and, I, and I'm going to make sure everybody doesn't listen to you because well, you're, you're wrong. That cloud. You're wrong. <laughs> I mean, Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews says that... Uh, we are being disciplined as sons. And if we are not disciplined, we're not legitimate sons. Because any good father wants the best for his kids, and he wants to make sure they're not engaging in wickedness and sinful behavior. He wants to make sure that they are repentant and attending to God's will, as he would have them, right? So, yeah, it's to be patient. Yeah. And I read something just in the past couple of days. I can't remember where I read it. Mm -hmm. But it said that, you know, bad things do happen to good Christian people. Mm -hmm. As a reminder, hey, bad things do happen. You have to stay on top of this. You can't let it slide. It's not always good. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, you know, we need to be reminded. Yeah, that Jesus has said, that whoever desires to follow him, that, that who, whoever desires to come after him must pick up their cross daily and follow him. We all have a cross to bear. I was yeah. listening to uh, the Sharper Iron mm -hmm. earlier today. Yeah. I know this isn't everything to do with Romans, but it had to do with uh, uh, Thessalonians. Uh -huh. And Paul was looking at the Thessalonians and saying they were imitators of Christ. Uh -huh. And they were being persecuted, like, super heavy. Huh? And that's what the baptized life looks like. Mm -hmm. And they look for joy in the persecution. Absolutely. Then they went back to, well, they, you can look at America and they, they'd say, well, why isn't America looking at all this persecution going on like it is in the East? And they attributed that to... Um, American Christianity not and the church is not doing their uh, job as real Christians and speaking up and standing up against all this stuff they've accepted it and it's no longer a sin in their own minds right and that's the thing you do not want to attribute to yourself is what God says about the people of Israel on the day of the judges that everyone did what was right in their own eyes right? that's how it's become a lot, um, and, and, and it's it's scary. Uh, it's gotten so scary to the point where um, I have seriously wondered whether or not it's a good thing for me to live stream our church services uh, because of what I might say in a sermon. Or I think it it's probably getting to be, it could be someday dangerous for me to even put a Bible study like this on the internet for people to listen to, because then I, I and our church can become a target uh, but all the more, Jesus says, 
This isn't a this isn't a reason to pick a fight, but when you have to speak the truth against such blatant sin, hypocrisy, and uh, wickedness, Jesus says, "Blessed are you when they persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely, for my account." Right? Blessed are you. Um, so that means that we should speak out all the more God's truth, and not be surprised when. The demons come after us, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, so let's be bold. Let's be bold in our confession and understand that even for ourselves and even those who, you know, who are unrepentant to this day, that it's, it's like Peter says in his second epistle that we shouldn't count God's patience towards us as slackness, right? But he is patient for our repentance uh, that we might actually that that those who have not repented will someday. So all this stuff going on, it's not God sleeping on the job. It's God showing His patience that either will come to repentance or everyone or as many people as can be come to repentance. Uh, but to know that it does have an end. Right? His patience has a limit, um, which we as Christians look forward to because then it's the end of pain and suffering and sin and death and all this bad stuff, right? Any other thoughts on that before we move on? Because we got to keep going here. We're already at like 8 o'clock. But man, hopefully we're getting into some good stuff. Um, all right, the knowledge of God through creation. Um, I'll tell you what, I've read enough. Who wants to read this next part for us? Up to the question. I'll read it. Okay. Roman. Romans teaches that people. Romans, I can't focus. <laughs> Put you on the spot. Romans teaches that people can and should know God, even if their knowledge is limited to natural revel re revelation through creation and does not include special revelation. That is, God's deeds and words, such as in Holy Scripture. See glossary, page 80. Paul does not argue for another way of salvation based upon natural revelation. There is no other way that people can be saved except through faith in Christ. However, Paul emphasizes in 1.19 that God holds all people accountable because they all know him through creation. The knowledge of God is manifest, evident among them, since God manifested it to them. Notice the timing of the verbs in this verse. God showed his existence in his creation past, with the result that knowledge of him is evident in the present. Paul describes further the knowledge of God that is manifest in 120. His invisible attributes are clearly seen, namely his eternal power and deity. Paul uses an apparent contradiction when he writes that invisible things are seen. This brings home the point that people can know about God even if he has not communicated with them in a visible or audible way, as he did with ancient Israel. The existence of God and his power are clearly witnessed in the created world. Just as people know that invisible air exists because of the effects of wind and pressure, everyone knows that God exists because of his creation and the care for the universe. The witness of creation should lead people to acknowledge God, causing them to see where, her, where he further and more clearly reveals himself. His deeds and words throughout history, especially in Jesus Christ. The key point that Paul wants to make in these 
verses is that God makes himself known in this real, if limited, manner through creation in order that they are without excuses. Without excuse is a forensic or legal term that fits with the argument Paul is building about the utter unrighteousness of all people. Okay, so uh, what evidence can you give that people continue to deny the obvious works of God revealed in creation? What did y'all put for that? Millions of years ago. <laughs> it's become so commonplace now, right? Yeah. Millions and billions of years ago. Yeah. Uh, try like, I don't know, like six or seven thousand years ago. Uh, according to God's word, at least. And our, our ability to um, approximate a timeline from the genealogies we have in the Bible, right? Um, so yeah, yeah. That's kind of a Darwinistic, evolutionary naturalistic explanation of stuff, right? Natu uh, scientific naturalism, as you might say, that everything can be... We can, we can look at the strata in the Grand Canyon and say, well, they, they literally have to say this. Well, from what we know about how water and this stuff works, it took millions of years for this... I'm just like, yeah, from what you know. It's like strata go like this. Yeah, that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just so amazing. The it's like the carbon dating. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, that is just that. No, that's not. Well, it's based on. Oh, it's ten million years yeah. ago. I'm like, no, you don't know how things change in ten million years. You're just estimating. Well, it's not even accurate to date things that we know what the date of them are. Yeah, so I mean, right. if you're not even accurate to. Was 200 it? years ago, you're not going to be accurate. To Wasn't there something about how radiation can affect, um, they've carbon dated things that have been next to like uh, nuclear explosions and it dates it uh, in, in the future. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Those are, those are, those are more than I knew about. I knew about the one where it's like they took a rock from they took like a rock from Mount St. Helens that exploded and said, oh, this rock was, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's like this, whatever happened to this rock happened billions of years ago. It's like, it literally happened. Well, Mount St. Helens. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. So I don't know how many of you remember the flood they had in New Brothels a couple of years in oh, 98 and 2000 at the Canyon Lake. Canyon Lake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When the, uh, so the water, went over the dam over the side and created this whole new canyon right and since that canyon was developed they are starting to go back and re-examine the Grand Canyon because they're like really? okay we usually look at this stuff and say it took thousands of millions of years to create this and now we look at it and it happened within a week uh, maybe what we did over here was yeah, two days it happened like yeah. that. Yeah, it's only yeah. taking like eight huh. years. Yeah, yeah. And huh. they're, like, they're like, they're like, we need, we need to go back and re-examine this because this oh, yeah. is this has changed the whole. Oh. Changed mm, the whole mm, mm. I wonder you know? how much could have changed on the Earth during 150 days of it being underwater. Yeah. yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Global flood. Yeah. 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 So, very interesting. Yeah, so there's that. There's that's an obvious way people deny the obvious works of God revealed in creation. What other ways might they do that? 
I went the physics route too. Mm-hmm. I said a lot of the physicists, um, what you gather from listening to them, because I've listened to a lot of them, mm-hmm. um, they claim that random, like all the order and everything, they see all this order and they, you know, but it really, they're explaining it as coming from like just random purposelessness. <sighs> Yeah. Of the con- con- consequences or coincidences. Yeah. You know who they sound like? They sound like Gnostics. Uh, by that I mean the ancient her- like that was that was the first heresy that Christianity dealt with was Gnosticism. It was the secret knowledge. That's literally what Gnosticism means to know. And they believe that everything was created out of chaos. Mm-hmm. Right? So that was life an ancient comes from non-life. Yeah, yeah. Really? Life, yeah. As, 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 as opposed to our understanding from the Word of God that God created everything out of nothing, ex, uh, created everything ex nihilo, from nothing God created everything, right? So he is ultimately the creator, but things just didn't come about because random chance. Yeah. Uh, it's just ridiculous. And that's where they, they go... <laughs> what? You know. Like, oh, well, you know. I mean, yeah. science can't explain itself. The scientific method can't explain itself with its own method. Exactly. Uh, but the hubris of it all, I mean, it's just very interesting. So there's, so there's that. Um, that's still in the science. I think that's part of our, one of our biggest, most uh, in-your-face things is, is the science, the scientism of today, uh, that it's its own religion, right? They have to explain everything by their own methods and yada, yada, yada. Um, what about, like, a re... There's a resurgence of, like, paganism now. Right, and people worship nature. They'll they'll um, like Wiccan is a big thing now. Uh, I think we one night after the kids went to bed, we watched like a YouTube documentary on Wicca. You know, like modern day witchcraft, and they're they're strangely religious, but it's all about nature and da 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 da. You know, or whatever. Yeah, I know. Peace and harmony with the universe and stuff like that. And it was really weird because there was one guy who wanted to be buried in a national cemetery because he was in the armed forces. And they wouldn't let him put the pentagram on his tombstone. It was really weird because in the list of all the officially recognized religions by the by by the armed forces of the United States, it then, because of their case, they won and he could have his pentagram on his his tombstone, but it was really weird because you see the list on the documentary, and somewhere on that list you see the LCMS cross. <laughs> so it's like, oh, that's not great. Um, but yeah, so Wiccan and uh, Wicca and paganism. I y'all know my story about the the pagan that I met in Ohio. Um, there's this weird resurgence of paganism um, of all stripes. Uh, and part of that on some level includes animism. Have you all ever heard that term? Um, the idea behind animism is that, uh, that objects, places, creatures all possess a distinct spiritual essence. Right? You go somewhere, like people will go to Enchanted Rock and say, oh, this just has an aura about it, or it's got a spiritual essence about it, right? As opposed to saying, no, God created this. Right. Uh, or, or they'll go to like the Alamo and say, there's a spiritual essence about it because of the people that gave their lives here or something. I'm just like, maybe, but if you hear things, that's a demon. So you've got to be careful with that one. 
Um, so anyways, so yeah, those are just some blatant ones. Anybody have anything else? Any, any evidence that people will continue to deny the works of God revealed in creation? No? That's okay. There's That's like a lot of people nowadays don't even know what creation is anymore. I mean, they never get out of their vehicle or their house or okay. their building or Yeah. Unless you look up at the stars, that's all they that's all they're gonna see. Yeah. Well and in some way that's a denial of creation in itself, right? You don't even know how you don't even you don't even understand how the smartphone you have in your hand was built, right? That it actually came from pieces of the earth, you know, that Parts of the battery had to be mined somewhere or something like that that got it placed there. Maybe you can even say specifically so you can have a smartphone. I don't know. But, you know, they they deny that, right? Kids That's a good point. That What's that? Come from chickens or milk comes from... Yeah, nobody knows where their food comes from. Yeah. They just they just think that... Uh, yeah. That's what they think. <laughs> I don't even know. It's scary what kids might think today. Um, so, okay. Those are, some, those are some things, for sure. Um, so how might you respond to someone who doubts the existence of God? That's a big question. Look out the window. I saw, <laughs> okay. I saw a meme about this once. Oh, yeah? And it said, Gene Wilders is Willy Wonka. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's this question. It's like, how are... Or he's responding to somebody who doubts the existence of God, and, and Willy Wonka says... That would be an excellent icebreaker when you meet him. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's scary. Um, yeah, when, when you do. Right, yeah, when. When you meet him, that would when, be an yeah. excellent yeah. conversation. Yeah, great conversation starter. Um, yeah, so would y'all say that it depends on where someone's at? What else? Yeah, yeah, so... Do they, are you, are you talking about a Christian or are you talking about a Christian struggling with their faith? Are you talking about someone who used to be Christian and doubts these things now? Are you talking with someone who never went to church, has no idea who Jesus is, and they just think that everything is explained by, by a natural scientific whatever, you know? I mean, it really depends on who you're talking to. Uh, so it can't be... Oh, you can't just give a one-size-fits-all answer for this, which is what makes it a hard question, right? Mm-hmm. But how might you go about talking to somebody about this? Where might you begin? <laughs> yeah. You just have to open your eyes and see the wonders. Yeah, yeah, look around you, right? Or make you share with them doubts that you've had in your Yeah, in find your some common that ground. Have, that have been answered for you or you found, you know. Yeah, I think I think common ground accounts for a lot. Um, to say, look, I understand your struggle, and it's something that I question all the time. Um, maybe a place to begin is to, like y'all have said, in some ways, point them to the order that is evident in creation. Right uh, there, there's a natural hierarchy which is might be a task in itself with some people, right? They don't even believe that there are such things as predators and prey in this world or something like that, right? But um, you just have to find something that you can find common ground on. I think is a good place to start um, to show that the world is ordered in such a way. And um, 
you also have to remember that you know, Paul dealt with this in Acts, right? Acts 17, where he speaks to uh, the, the Greek pagans on the Areopagus, right? When he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed, uh, as though he, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for, uh, for, uh, for, um, for in him we, have, we, we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, uh, the image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people, uh, now he commands all people um, everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead, right? Jesus Christ. So Paul starts with the natural revelation. I'll be honest with you, I'd rather talk to pagans about faith. I'd rather talk to pagans like Paul's doing because you can't even talk to an atheist nowadays because they just, they don't even understand that there's no such thing as atheism. Right? They don't even understand that. They're so deluded into thinking there's no God that they don't understand that, as we would, uh, according to uh, the brilliant observation that Luther has in his large catechism of the, the first commandment, that whatever you put your fear, love, and trust in is your God. Right? For a lot of atheists, it's science or their own intellect or whatever. So they don't even realize they have a God. Yeah, they don't even realize they have a God. But they do. So I'd rather talk to a pagan who at least understands the spiritual reality uh, as opposed to someone who is in denial that it even exists. But yeah. I found that a lot of them who say God does exist, a lot of them still believe in a higher being. <laughs> yeah, like the universe or something, higher, right? There's, yeah. There is a, so do you believe in a higher being? Yeah. Well, yeah, we do have a higher being. Well, why can't that be God? Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, just, they just don't want to conform they just don't want to accept that but they believe that there's this higher being yeah but they just they don't want to be controlled they want to be their own master yeah so in essence they show their hatred toward god by their indifference to right mm -hmm. yeah yeah so um yeah we also need to remember that people who deny god's existence can often do so because of pain or disappointment in their lives but that means all the more we should be patient with them Right, uh, and don't give up on them because God hasn't given up on them since the second coming hasn't happened yet. Happened. Right, <laughs> so we shouldn't give up on them necessarily. Um, 
sometimes I, f I, f I feel people say that because yeah. they believe in him, but they're so angry with him that they just like are like, no. Yeah. I don't know anybody. Yeah. I don't know anybody like this, but I once had a professor, not the seminary at a different, uh, at a different university, they were saying that they, they know people who hate God so much that they don't care if they're going to hell. They'd actually say, good, fine, I don't care. Yeah. You know, I was thinking to myself, who could be, who could, I mean, that's clearly God giving over them to the lust of their heart, right? Um, so whatever you do, we could even have a whole class on apologetics, right? There's all these different ways to talk about these things. But the point we need to remember is not that it's not about how eloquent we are, how well-reasoned we are, how good our arguments are. You don't argue anybody into the faith. The only thing that's going to create faith is the Word of God, right? So when you speak the Word of God in love and truth, um, the Word's either going to do the work or they're going to reject it, right? That's just the way it is. Um, that's not to say we shouldn't brush up on how we talk to people. But it is to say we should just put our full faith and trust in what God has promised to do through the word. Um, so whatever you do, however you go about it, um, like with Peter when he says uh, that we should, um, have, we should have a reason for the hope that is within us, right? And that we should approach these people with gentleness and respect. Uh, at the same time, we should be bold in our confession of faith, uh, we should be bold and not equivocating in what we believe because I think a lot of times we get into this um, feeling like we shouldn't push people too hard. Um, I, what is it? I think I, I saw a meme, you know, since you mentioned a meme. I saw this meme, which is like a little cartoon, and it was, uh, it was very pertinent. It was, um, it was like David and Goliath, right? And... Goliath is standing over here, this big, huge dude with muscles, and he's got the LGBTQ flag on his chest, right? And David is on the other side saying, uh, it's like, Goliath, I don't want to fight you. I want to tell you about a God that loves you. It's just like, you should probably tell Goliath that he's a sinner and that if he's not careful, he's going to burn in hell, right? I mean, and that you're saying that because you love him, Right? Uh, uh, it's one of these things of like, let's, let's not just focus on being nice because we think that's how people are going to get one for the kingdom, but we should be bold in saying, you're not right. What you're doing is sinful. And that's not to say that I'm better than you because I'm a sinner too, right? We all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but as long as you're in that sin, you ain't got a hope. Right? That's, that's just what God says. And if we're bold about that and we say, but I have a God, the only God, the one and only who can save you, I think we've lost something. The Missouri Synod was a very powerful force uh, because for a long time we were bold in saying, yeah, we're the one true church on earth. I mean, the, the one true visible church. Uh, yeah, we're sinners, but we have the sacraments, we have God's word, 
We have his gospel, we have his law, we have all these things that have been handed down to us from the beginning of the church, from Christ himself. And But now we've just become saying, like, you know, well, if you want to be Lutheran, whatever. If not, don't worry about it. It's okay. Right? Let's be bold. Because if we don't actually, if we can't be bold about what we believe, then how do we really feel about it, right? How do, it's just one of these things that it's, it's, it's kind of a gut check, right? When you say to yourself, well, is it worth other people knowing about? Is it worth me telling them, hey, look, God desires better for your life. Uh, and, you know, you can come with me on Sunday and find out what that is. Or we can talk more about what that is. And I'll be, and I'll, and I'll tell you what God's word says. So, I mean, it's one of those things that whatever we do and however we talk about it, let's actually be bold because I'll tell you what, Satan's bold. He's doing everything he can to pull people away from Christ or to keep them from even knowing him in the first place. And we need to be bold in our confession, right? Uh, I'm not saying that we should uh, fight fire with fire on some level, right? We shouldn't be nasty and mean or whatever, but we should stand firm in our confession. Stand firm in the word of God. You know, Lord, keep us steadfast in thy word. Curb those who by deceit or sword would wrest the kingdom from your son and bring to naught what he has done, right? Keep us steadfast. And we should be. All right? Uh, all right, for the sake of time, let's keep on going. What might you say to someone who asks, how can God judge people who have never been taught about him? Another big question. What do y'all have for that? Because he made them. He made them? Okay. There Yeah, so... Uh, okay, so God is, in some sense, sovereign over all things, and he has every right to judge them. And even when Christ that. died for our sins, he didn't just die for the sins of the people who knew about God. He died for everybody's sins, whether they knew about him or not. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but how can he judge people who have never been taught about him? Yeah. I wrote, if you don't know that the speed limit's 45 and you go 60, you're still going to get pulled over. <laughs> yeah. Endurance is no excuse. Yeah. There's a, there's, there's a saying that I was taught when I was a paralegal. Uh, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Right? Oh, I didn't know it was illegal for me to kill somebody. That's too bad, buddy. In you go. Right? Uh, it's too bad. You know these things. You could also make the argument that, well, everybody's a descendant of Noah. So at some point, everybody had that and has turned away from it deliberately at some point. Oh, yes. Where'd you hear that? I don't know. Just yeah. thinking. It's great. Uh, uh, I love that line of thinking because you wonder how do you... You wonder to yourself, why is it that the Romans and the Greeks and even like far-reaching people all kind of had similar gods? It's because they all had the same, the idea is that they all had the same corrupt idea of the truth. That the sons of Noah had the truth, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they all had the truth. And on some level, it got corrupted the further along they went and the more corrupted they were in their own minds, right? Uh, to where... Um, you had 
literal communion with demons at some point, right? Any any foreign god is. So uh, yeah, they they knew at one point in time, and on some level, uh, the descendants are being punished for the sins of the fathers, right? Uh, and that sounds really harsh, uh, and that might be a big stumbling block for a lot of people, but that just goes to show we don't know the mind of God. Uh, we don't know what he has in store for those who have never really been taught about Christ, right? Because they're so far removed. You might, you might say to yourself, well, they're so far down the generational line from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. How could they possibly be? It's like, well, we're so far down the line from Adam, yet we're still punished for his original sin, well, right? Before you look at the way God is, you think God is judging people. I mean, when you see somebody do something wrong, yeah. somebody especially has done something like really horrible, uh-huh. you know, you look at them and you say, they should be punished for that. Yeah. So, I mean, don't be so arrogant <laughs> to think that yeah. you're trying, you're you're as good at judging as God is, like God's on a whole other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, his law has been written on our hearts, right? Uh, even the thief knows that it's wrong to steal when someone steals from him, right? Uh, um, and and there's there's something to be said though. I will say this. You know, we we do not know. Uh, someone this morning asked the question about what about a stillborn child, or a or a miscarriage, right? What do you do about that child? They can't be baptized. How could they have heard whatever? And it's one of these things of you know. Any time that I would offer a consolation to someone who has lost a child before they're even born, you simply, you know, some people don't like this because they want a definitive answer that all children go to heaven in that way or something like that. All I can say and all any of us can say is that we rely on the mercy of God. That's all you can do. Rely on God's mercy They are in his hands, and he is more capable than anybody else to take care of them. Whatever he decides, we must be okay with. Uh, But if God is a merciful God, we can't say 100% they go to heaven. I'm not saying they go to limbo. I'm not saying they go to purgatory. I'm saying that we commend them into the hands of God, and we let him decide what happens, right? And when you do that, you focus more on God's mercy than any sort of final destination that you think they should be going to, right? Yeah. I've been spending some time in uh, Psalm 139, Mm -hmm. and in that, he says, God teaches in the womb. Yes. So, he can, uh, that baby doesn't have to be born. They're they're teaching in that secret place, in the womb. Yeah. So, God has some, a plan, and it, it's for us to. Uh, well, it's, it, it, it's trust. You pray. Trust that he will do always what's right. You, what's that? That he trust that he always does. He always what's does right. what is right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's a big comfort for Christian parents, because we lost the baby. Our first our first baby we lost, and one of the big comforts was that, well, for. Even though it was, what, 10 weeks, you know, we, we still said, well, at least we were going to church and, you know, that, that baby could on some level hear the word of God or something like that. 
But for those who don't go to church and all this other, and, and who are totally apostate or whatever, you simply just say, well, still, it's in God's hands. And he will do what is right. right? So you commend people into the hands of God, for sure. Um, so, yeah, God is righteous, he is just, and he is good. And we just... We, and, and we have to trust that he will do what is right. Okay? Um, any other thoughts on that before we move on? It's a big one. Um, okay, so our rebellion and God's response. Paul gets at the heart of the problem in chapter 1, verse 21. Uh, actually, how about let's, let's have somebody else read. So take over from there. Paul gets at the heart of the problem in 121. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give him thanks. The human response to the creator is not neutral. Not only do people fail to honor and thank the creator, but they rebel against him by actually worshiping the creation instead. Paul expresses this with the use of the verb exchange. People exchange the glory of God for the likeness of men. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They exchange natural sexual practices for unnatural ones. Although one can see the sin of Adam and Eve, exchange truth of God for a lie. Or Israel worshiping the golden calf, exchange glory of God for the likeness of an animal. These verses are primarily speaking of the rebellion of the wider Gentile world. Homosexuality was widely practiced in the Greco-Roman world. The result of humanity's rebellion is that God hands them over to their sinful rebellion. This handing over should not be seen as God giving up on them. God allows sinful indulgence so that man's rebellion against the Creator becomes even more apparent, with the result that people see the absurdity of their sin and repent. Okay, so give specific examples of how people exchange truth for a lie. And maybe describe a time when you were deceived or confused by false teaching. So, where are some examples? This girl I went to confirmation class with. Uh, her family were members here. Technically, they still are, because I never transferred out. Hmm. They were more of like the... Christmas and Easter Christians, but when you know we were old enough for confirmation class, she would come every week and do all of the, you know, whatever. She got confirmed the year after I did. She's now a practicing lesbian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, yeah, you see that a lot. You see that a lot. Uh, kids that you thought were were good kids, and I hear from my mom all the time. Oh, they came from such good Christian parents. What went wrong? And you just kind of go, I don't know. Let's find out because I don't want to have that happen again if we can help it, right? Um, so yeah, that's a that's a, a a big one. Anybody else? Any other examples? Well, this isn't actually spiritual, but when I was in high school, gas went from a quarter to 50 cents a gallon overnight, and the history teacher's up there in front of the classroom saying, the world is running out of oil. 
That's how it comes with that. And I thought, oh man, I swallowed that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Until I went to a Christmas party with my great aunt, great uncles were debating that that's all nonsense, a big lie, you know, and, yeah. and which it was. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But what you know, it, yeah. at the time, I thought, well, that's what the teacher's saying. It's, it's got to be right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. What about the lie that that we're we're in danger of overpopulation of the earth? Oh yeah, big time. Oh man, that, that's such a horrible thing when you hear people say that. Like, oh, there needs to be, they call it thinning the herd or whatever. It's like, well, you never stop to think. Maybe you should start with you and your family. Yeah, see how that's always this Somebody abstract thing, you know. I mean, that's 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 part of the reason why you have rampant birth control and abortion, just because you want to not have as many kids or whatever, and it's like. Uh, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of deception and confusion out there. False teachers abound. Um, yeah. Political isms in in public school, the way they teach that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Like, like, like what sort of things? Like when I was in a senior, we had, uh, we had our government economics class. Mm Mm-hmm. And the way they taught it to us was it was like a speedometer, right? You have like all the way left and all the way right. Yeah. You know, left wing and right wing. Yeah. And the more right you went from the middle of the road, the more fascist you were. And the more left of the middle of the road you went, the more communist and socialist you were. Oh, that's so funny. And at first I kind of bought that a little bit. Such, yeah. And then I actually looked up what the acronym of Nazi means. Because they always say that they're nationalists, but they never mention that they're socialists. Yeah. Yeah, there's still that socialist aspect. To and then it's either, it's either freedom or totalitarianism. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. And so many people look at it like that, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stay, stay in the middle. Stay in the middle. But what they don't teach you about is the Overton window. Have you ever heard of that term? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Overton window is like I, I'll, I'll butcher it, but it basically means that you know, um, let's just say that you have a window, right? Kind of like on a, a house, you have a window and like the world is out here. And the more that you, like people have talked about shifting the Overton window. And the idea was that, you know, there's all this stuff going on in the periphery, but whatever you're focused on in the window is what becomes commonplace. And the more you shift it towards things being more commonplace, like let's say uh, the Overton window is geared heavily towards the LGBTQ community right now to where the more you see it, the more commonplace it is. And you say, well, of course, there's a huge, yeah. huge gay trans, gay and trans population in America and the world when really it's it's less than 1% yeah. of the population. They scream and holler so Yeah, loud. so like shows like Will and Grace and Friends and, and, and whatever else that's espousing this normalcy of homosexuality you're you're shifting the window onto something to where people are just seeing it all the time. It's so commonplace that they just think, well, of course that's the way it is, right? So media is a big, powerful tool for that. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of what the Overton window is, and at least from what I remember. I could be butchering it for all I know, but um, yeah. So you have all these things. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I 
one of the one of the false teachings that I that I um, fell into uh, was thinking that you know homosexuality was no big deal. Whatever you do in your house, it's not bothering me. It's your business, right? What it, you do your thing and just keep it out of the streets. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts, right? Um, so and and I, I can remember. <laughs> Well, because I was a theater major in college, you know, of course, I, I, I knew people who were gay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember, like, when I was... To become a pastor, you have to go through a theological interview. And I remember them asking whatever. One of the things they asked was, like, um, do you know any gay people? Are you friends with any gay people? And I said, uh... I used to be, I guess. I was like, so what? What does it matter? Um, but I thought, but like, the more I go on, I'm just like, man, I was really deceived in thinking that it was no big deal. I was really deceived in thinking that, oh, well, that's just them. That's just who they are. That's how maybe God made them, right? That's a big lie. That's a big, big lie. People are not born gay. Um, I think somebody this morning asked me, uh, what would happen? <laughs> what would happen if one of your kids came to you and said that they were gay? Uh, first of all, I'd I'd ask them who told you that, right? First of all, I'd ask them who told you that because with girls, girls are affected by social pressure more than boys are. That's why you see a lot of girls who are transitioning into being becoming men, quote unquote, right? Uh, it's a social contagion like bulimia or anorexia. Right, uh, they get hooked into the social sphere and they think it's normal and that's what that's just the way they should be. And before you know it, they've mutilated their bodies and they can never go back to what they were physically. Um, and so, if, and it's the same thing with lesbianism. Uh, I would if if Charlotte came to me and said, "Dad, I'm gay," I'd say, "Who told you that? And where can I find them?" Right? Uh, and you're never going to go around them again. Uh, and with boys, it's different because it's the same thing. Who told you that, and what did they do to you? Most gay men do not become gay without having some sort of sexual encounter with another man. And because they somewhat enjoy it, they think that that's how they're supposed to be. It's very sad. Yeah, there is a- it doesn't happen all the time like that, but that's a predominant feature. So that's what I would do and. People might say, well, conversion therapy doesn't work because they buy into the whole thing if you're born this way. I, I, I know of people who have stopped, who have with therapy and with uh, faith intervention on some level uh, gone on to actually be attracted to the opposite sex and, and have kids and, and all stuff like that. And it's, it's one of those things that it's a big lie. It's a big lie that that's just how they are. There's no changing them. It's like, um, I think that people are also very scared of their kids. Um, that someone this this morning said they knew somebody that their daughter was a cheerleader in high school. She was popular. She's beautiful, but she's a lesbian, and and so her friend had to just tacitly accept it because she didn't want to. She didn't want to lose her from her life. And I said, well, if that was the case, and I, I, I have the luxury of saying this because I'm not in that situation. Objectively, though, I would say, well, if that's the way you're going to be, then 
I will always love you, but because of that, I don't want you to bring whoever it is that you're staying with around. I just don't, I just don't want them to be around our family. And hopefully, like excommunication, that would maybe bring them back to realize that family is really more important. Again, I don't, I have the luxury of saying these things. I don't have to deal with those things. The struggle, I would imagine, would be unbearable for, to have your child um, say that and experience those things. And I can't imagine the hardship that would bring on. Um, but it's one of those things we have to face in the world today. Uh, it's one of those things that we have to continually pray for people and also tell them, because we love them, that it's just, it's not right according to God's law. It's just not right, right? It's a sin. Um, somebody got on my case about that one time. They're like, because, because he worked with uh, homosexual teens in Montrose, in Houston, oh, and uh, he was saying, he was saying, you tell these kids that they shouldn't, that they should just stop being gay or whatever. And I, and I said, man, look, if I had a kid come to me who who was a Christian and said I struggle with same sex attraction, and if and God forbid if my son or my daughter came and said that to me that I they they just never had an attraction to the opposite sex. Never, no matter what you do. I'd say, all right, sorry, but you gotta be chaste and celibate for the rest of your life. You cannot act on these things. Just like I would tell someone who is heterosexual, uh, you better live a chaste and decent life. You can, you should not have sex outside of marriage. It's just as bad, right? I think we're seeing a shift because there has been for a long time an old school mindset that says, no, homosexuality is worse than fornication. It's like, no, it's the same thing. You just have different partners. Well, it's, it's the same thing on how bad it is. In some sense, homosexuality is worse because of what it's denying inherently, but it's still sexual immorality. I mean, and that in itself is rampant today, right? Um, it's not easy all around. It's horrible. And I'm not just going to harp on homosexuality because Paul doesn't, right? Uh, we'll go on to that next part where you see that um, Paul drives this point home by heaping up the nouns in chapter 1, verse 29 through 30. He concludes in uh, verse 32, even though they, the rebellious people, know the decree of God, namely that those who do such things deserve death, yet they not only do them, but also approve those who practice them. So all the different words for sinner that Paul uses in 29 through 30, I mean, uh, here, I'll pass this out now. If you don't have the, the, the Lutheran Study Bible um, from CPH, this is from this. Uh, if you just take one and pass it around. It's got some good stuff for this chapter about God's law, but there's also homosexuality in the Bible. And one, one good point that it makes is that Paul's hearers, who were Romans at the time, would hear all this stuff about homosexuality and say, you're right, that's bad. But then Paul goes on to say what? He goes on to say um, that they're filled, right? So he, he begins with homosexuality because it's so manifestly against God's creation, his order. But then to knock the legs out of everybody else, out from under uh, the, the rest of his hearers, they were filled with all manner of 
of um, they were filled with all manner of of um, unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, heartless, ruthless. Are 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 any of you exempt from all these things? Right? I was thinking that as I was reading it. I was like, yeah. like half of those more than half of those things, yeah. I I really want to cap I I just want to mention this. I went through and I, I wrote down all the Greek words for these things. Um and it's kind of interesting how the Greek word uh where is it? It's um what is what does this sound like? Hubristes. What does that sound like? What word do we have? Hubris. Hubris. Someone who is, someone who is full, uh, uh, someone who is haughty. Oh, no, someone who is insolent, right? Hubristes. I, I think what the, I thought this was interesting. I was writing, I was like, ooh, that's very interesting. A gossip, right? Awesome. Also known as someone who whispers slander. The word is, uh, Seethuristeis. It sounds like psithuristeis. It's like it sounds like what it is. It's kind of an onomatopoeia. Um, but you see these things: uh, slanderers, god haters, insolent men, arrogant, boastful, an inventive scoundrel. I love that. Um, rebellious sons, disobedient to parents, someone without discernment, treacherous, callous, merciless. It describes all of us. And it's interesting that, they, that murder and gossips are on the same level. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's all sin. The yes. The ones were worse than the other. That's right. It's all sin. Yeah. And that's the point, mm -hmm. right? Certain sins are manifested in different ways, and some certainly do have greater temporal consequences than others. That is definitely true. Sexual sins are on a different level than murder or... Uh, Lying or uh, stealing, something like that. You may look at gossip as not being as bad as murder, but if your gossip's led to that. Gossip can lead to the death of a reputation, right? It can lead to the death of somebody's character, and then they can't get a job anymore because you doxed them or canceled them or whatever it is that people do these days. Cancel culture and all that stuff. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's all on the same level. So, but here's the thing. <laughs> you can be overwhelmed by this list, which you should be. You should be overwhelmed by how much you actually engage in sinful action than you realize. But as you read Paul's description of God's wrath, don't become discouraged. Right? It's not the point. It's not to beat you down and keep you down. Recall that God uses and limits his wrath in order to lead more people to repentance. Right? To repentance. Just as anger of a loving parent leads a child to say, I'm sorry, God's wrath is meant to lead us to repent. His wrath serves his, his mercy so that he may save you, your family, your neighbors, and all sinners through his beloved son, Jesus. Right? Um, so when we look at sin... As Christians, we don't just stop there. We don't stop with God's law, but we understand the gospel as well. 
right? And that it is for all people that all might be saved. So um, words to remember, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that the men, so that men are without excuse. Romans 1, verse 20. Um, for next time, uh, to prepare for the next session, uh, God's wrath revealed in, in the law, read Romans chapter 2, verses 1, through chapter 3, verse 20. Okay? Any last thoughts, closing statements? Have I said anything that has severely upset you and you never want to talk to me again? Remember, you've got to be bold. <laughs> <laughs> when I say all these things, especially when it comes to sin and knowing people who struggle with certain sins, know that I, I'm trying to speak as objectively as possible, um, and I'm trying to do it so that we might recognize on some level how bad things really are and how we might be equipped to deal with them in a way that is in Christian love and truth. Okay, Because um, the real world is very upsetting. Sin is upsetting, and wrath for sin is upsetting. But we as Christians, we need to talk about these things and be able to have these conversations so that we can be better equipped to, to stand and fight the good fight. Okay? Yeah? My daughter, Megan, for a while went to a different church. Mm -hmm. And she says, Mom, I want to be, she said, I want to go to a church where the pastor said, really says, we're sinning, and this is wrong. But there is forgiveness. And she said, they don't do that in this church. And she's like, we need more churches like that. <laughs> so, yeah. We do. Yeah, I think, I think we do. Um, I try to do those things. Does it make me nervous that I might be out of a job someday when someone gets mad at me and wants to take me out? Sure, but blessed are you when they persecute you. <laughs> Speak all manner of evil falsely against you from my account. So, uh, no, but seriously, yeah, the thing, the thing we need the most is God's word and uh, the fullness of his word. There is forgiveness. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We need to pre preach the gospel because that's the only thing that will save us for sure. All right, well, with that, we are way over time. Sorry, but that was a lot to get through because um, there's so much going on that this is pertinent to. With that, well, let's, uh, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.